Okay, here we go. Episode two of the podcast. Um, A lot of people thought it was episode 597 this week, but I don't know where they got that, Miles. That's a completely silly number. It's episode two. Tristan, it's great to hear from you. I think that was our mistake last week. It was episode what? one, but we did, we did, we, the num- wires got crossed. We thought we were in the 500s. We're back on track this week. That was number one. This one's number two. You can take that to the bank. I, I mean, that's, it's shocking. I will say just, you know, for the sake of my ears, you were coming in real hot there. Really powerful voice. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because, I love your voice, but it was it was powerful. It was a lot. You know, I'm I'm, j- I'm jacked up like a like Pete Carroll <laughs> chewing gum out there. I'm sorry. I'm just excited to get out there. Uh, uh, um, how was so? How was your Sunday? So we before we start broadcasting this unbelievable podcast, the only podcast about Seahawks football, um, at least that we know of in this universe. Now we should make that distinction. It could be that outside of the Milky Way, there are other Seahawks podcasts. All we're saying is on this planet specifically, there's as far as we know, and 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 also it's very possible we haven't done the research. So it could be that there are others, but as to the best of our knowledge, this is the only one. Um, right before we started recording, I asked you this question um that i'm curious about what's your just to kind of give the audience a flavor what is your game day preferences when you're sitting there are you watching red zone are you just watching the hawks game what are you eating what are you drinking it really i mean the mailbox has been full people want to know miles what what's your preparation we were hammered with questions this week about that the <laughs> it was unbelievable um <laughs> Now, it, it was a question that made me nervous because I, I watch football like a psychopath. I like to uh, get those condensed games or the replays. Oh, yeah. I don't like the whole commercial experience. And uh, it's a long season. So, you know, I keep it, uh, keep it pretty light. My, uh, my preferred beverage is a Topo Chico with lime. And uh, okay. so I like that quiet in, in the Sunday evening. You got the replays. You can either go through the commercials or, or condensed games. And uh, I know that's how everybody else does it too. <laughs> I um, what, what about over there? What about over there? Well, first of all, thank you for asking. Um, I, I love the red zone as much as the next guy. I mean, there it is. Well, we were texting about this last night. Well, you know, the problem with the red zone is, It's like cotton candy. It tastes great. But at the end of the day, there's not a lot of substance in it. So it is kind of weird. I don't think it's the way we're supposed to watch. I don't think God intended for us to watch football with the red zone. And yet it's such a fun experience. I love it. Um, So the way that I'll typically do it, though, is I'll I'll have the red zone going. And then I mean, I think everyone's doing this. I'm watching all the games and then I'm going back to the Hawks game, watching all the games, going back to the Hawks game. So I'm watching most of the Seahawks game while trying to kind of see what's going around the league. Um, and then, you know, I got that handy dandy NFL subscription. So the Kenan's game the next day to kind of recap. And I was just looking at drive number one. I'm looking on my screen right now. Gino currently on my iPad is four for four for 42 yards. And he just threw an absolute dart to DK on the end zone line. I mean, it's, it's a pretty great way to watch. Condensed games are are incredible. Um, this is much longer of an answer than I thought I was going to give, just full disclosure. Um, I'm a beer guy. I like having a couple of pints as I'm watching the game. Um, and um, snack sticks. I have my deer snack sticks that I eat. So I was uh, chewing on a snack stick while I um, while I drank beer and watched the game. So that's my that's my deal. What's a snack stick? It's so think of it as um, like a Slim Jim. You know, but think of it as like a really nice, high quality Slim Jim. So I went hunting this last uh, winter in Montana. And Are you serious? Yeah. And and the so I got a deer and the best way to or at least the way that I like to have it the most is the people that do the meat processing. They ask you how you want it and you can do, you know, beef jerky, right? Or deer jerky. You can do, you know, all different kinds of cuts. And I just love the snack sticks. So they're I have cheddar sausage 
snack sticks that I really, really like. So I'm having a, it's a wholesome meal while I'm enjoying the Seahawks. Um, I did get into last night. This is uh, to go along with my uh, uh, completely insane way of watching. My my favorite junk food of the last year or so is uh, kettle chips, mm. an Oregon product. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the dill flavor. Uh, it's it's completely oh. insane, but uh, it's, I mean, yeah. I, I really felt like I was settling into my 30s when I, uh, that was like the number one most desirable thing in the entire grocery store, dill chips. Does, that, does anything go with the Topo Chico better though than dill chip kettles? I mean, probably not. It's pretty great. Uh, probably just about anything, but that, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but not for you. Um, hey, the Seahawks played this week. Did you know that? they They played a game. The Seahawks played a game, and I got some news for you. The Seahawks won this football game in Detroit <sighs> over the Detroit Lions Yes, in overtime, and it was 37-31. to 31. My favorite moment of the game wasn't Tyler Lockett going into the end zone for the, mm. the walk-off touchdown. It was .1 seconds later when I spotted Jen Mueller, loyal sideline oh. reporter, stick a fist in the air and do, do a little skip like a like a child there was a, a genuine childlike innocence to it she's right there if you look at it oh my every tv camera's got her and it's just the genuine and and i just loved it it was a real moment a real moment of joy and i loved that i know you're not supposed to root in the press box but i i actually like this that there was uh it, it was a it was one of the most joyful moments of from an adult i've seen in a long time in any context an emotional connection. It's funny. I'm so I'm gonna go back now and see if I can I see that from Jen because that that is pretty cool. Um, so if we're gonna give our off kilter favorite moments, I'll give you my off kilter favorite moments, which is, excuse me, I'm I'm talking to America right now as uh, as Geno Smith is just losing his mind. Tyler Lockett was running a different route, man. That was not intentional grounding, and the referee's response is, I mean. I don't know how you come up with that on the moment. Like he's, he's literally giving the call. Excuse me. I'm, I'm speaking to America right now is it was wonderful. Uh, it was a tough call. It was a brutal call, mm. uh, but the Seahawks call. might've gotten a makeup, a, a bigger makeup call uh, in the end. Um, so, so what a great game. I love that we're get, just getting right into it with with kind of some of our off kilter things, um, but we do have you know a couple of observations that maybe we can go over. Um, so my first one was Geno Smith, seventy eight percent completion percentage. I mean that's an elite. That's insane. I mean I believe he ended last year at like sixty nine point something completion percentage. I know Pete always talks about seventy percent is kind of the the mythological magical number that they're kind of striving for every year for Gino to go out in a game like this. I mean, it's funny, literally I'm, I'm looking at this play, the first play where Gino gets it to the one yard line or like the one inch line, whatever. And looking at it right now, four for four, 42 yards at this first drive. I mean, it's kind of incredible. He, I think there's a lot of people that have wondered, and I think rightfully so, hey, Gino had an unbelievable start to last year, and it felt like he might have started petering out a little bit towards the end of last year. Obviously, last week was really rough for everybody. For Gino to come out and have a a masterful game, I don't know how else you say it. I mean, 78%, two touchdowns, cool under pressure, um, against an unbelievable a really good defensive line with two rookie tackles um i mean you get you can slice this a few different ways it was an impressive day by gino yeah and also going on the road over to a team that you know just just beat the super bowl defending super bowl champions there's a lot going i feel like gino is um he makes game management it's i feel like this is the height of game management because the the seahawks offense is not very explosive but yeah they haven't turned the ball over in two games that's any two game stretch without any turnovers i i think is very impressive and it, it just feels like he's making the right decision every time in fact the one time he didn't make the right decision when he ends up scrambling on the third down towards the end of the game 
takes a huge loss that that puts oh, the puncher back in the end zone. That's that felt like his first bad decision of the year, and it, it, it felt like a glitch. Like, oh, that's right, there can be uh, sure there can be. And the the one game I watched another chunk of yesterday was was Cowboys versus Jets, and then seeing Zach Wilson play and the decision. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really, it really put it in stark contrast of like, oh, he just makes good decisions, and it's not, um, yeah, it's not the most explosive offense, but you just feel really comfortable. It, it makes you feel very comfortable. Yeah, no, he, he, he. I mean, decision making is the only way you can say it. What's crazy too, I like you reference that sack. That was the only sack of the game, the only quarterback pressure they got on the game, which you could almost argue. And he said after the game, like, hey, I made the wrong decision. I just I should have thrown it away sooner um, or at all. But if you think about it, that was a manufactured sack. I mean, he he basically gave them that sack like, hey, I'm trying to hold on to the ball because of the two minute warning. And it's a timing issue and all of that. Um the fact that he was able to to have, I, I mean, again, to your point, that kind of poise throughout the entire game, I, it, it, it gets you excited. It is so difficult to get the right quarterback in this league. I mean, it's it's the most it's the hardest position in sports, and the idea that the Seahawks potentially have their guy in Geno Smith on a good contract, it's it's insane to think about like the, the I'm not going to call it luck. Uh, I don't know what to call it. I bet there is some good fortune, I guess, involved in it. But um, the fact that we got this guy is, is unreal. And he, he had an absolutely, um, he had a killer game. It, it might be luck. It also might be, um, I think, I think a very key evaluation of Pete Carroll is going on outside of Seattle right now in the NFL in Denver with with Russell Wilson and Sean yeah. Payton who went 0 and 2 and uh I do feel like if if I've been watching that very closely I've been rooting against it a, a little bit because I'm like well okay if Russell Wilson can't succeed in, with two successive coaches in Denver and if Gino has never succeeded before in his career and then now things are flourishing in Seattle you know you think of Pete Carroll as a defensive coach, but there could be as if the Broncos season goes awry, there's suddenly quite a convincing track record of he gets quarterbacks to play well who haven't played well anywhere else. Yeah, no, it's, it, it goes to show. I mean, and you look at that game. I mean, I think Pete or, uh, uh, Russell actually looked fairly good. It, it goes to show like decision-making too. You know, I, I, I would argue that Sean Payton had another pretty rough game. Not that this is a this is not the only podcast in the world concerning Denver Broncos, but as you know, Seahawks fans, we can't quite help ourselves. There's there's always there's always going to be looking looking to see how the X is doing. And um, I mean, frankly, I was now that we don't have any major draft capital on the line. I'm I'm back into you know rooting for Russell and and hoping for the best. But also, I'm hoping that Sean Payton looks like an idiot. Um, because I think he's been a real jerk. Um, and and um, it's interesting. I, I said at the end of the game, like, you know, when they started that two minute drill, the people I was watching it with, I was like, a perfect scenario for me would be that Russell looks really good and Sean Payton looks really bad in the next two minutes. And somehow they accomplished that. Like Russell's he, he got the stats. He had the great, you know, Hail Mary. And then I, I feel as though Sean Payton's the one that kind of screwed that puppy up. But um, back to the Seahawks, because that's, you know, the show of record. Um, another thing that I think we both really like that we should talk about a little bit is the running game. Um, I think that they showed a really good level of discipline sticking with the run. So, you know, Kenneth Walker w- did not have a great game. You know, the, the stats aren't crazy. Um, you know, it, it's not as though you look at Kenneth Walker's day and you think, oh, man, he absolutely killed it. And yet they stuck with it. So I have his stats up right now. 17 carries, 43 yards, 2.5 yard average, two TDs, obviously long of 14, which I think is literally the first play of the game was was his long. Um, In total, the team, including Geno's a couple of scrambles, but also including him giving up 17 yards, um, the team ran it 25 times for 82 yards. 
the yardage to me isn't the story there, like not great yardage. And yet they stuck with it. And I think that discipline is massive in a game like this. Hey, we're not running it super well, but we're going to continue to run the football to establish that run, to have that cadence, everything that comes off of it, play action, et cetera. Um, every time I see a team stick with the run, I mean, I'm, I'm an old man, but it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, yeah, that's that's the way you should play football because it it keeps the defense honest, you know, as I guess the old expression, right? Um, here's what I thought about the run. As I was watching, I was going, the the yardage sure doesn't look great, but it kind of felt to me like they were converting downs with the run game, which is, I, w- I don't know how much more... So anyway, I then I looked at the numbers and I was I was kind of correct. So Walker this year the numbers are not great, but uh, Pro Football Reference has a stat called success rate, hmm. which is getting a big chunk of yards, percentage of yards on first or second down, and then either and converting to a new to first down on on either third or fourth down. So not looking at you know the the number of yards, but are you keeping the chains moving? And Walker this year, his success rate is 55%, which is good for 12th in the league. Hmm. So it almost felt like, to me, like the run game was kind of similar to the pass game of like, they're not ripping off huge plays, but everything's on schedule and they're keeping things moving. And so like statistically, the number one running back in the league right now is Christian McCaffrey. And he's hit, his success rate is 40%. So 40% compared to Walker at 55%. And Interesting. And it's like I I, I kind of don't know. It came. It kind of made me wonder which was more valuable, you know, to have because McCaffrey's got about double the yards, yeah. you know. Um, so that's not nothing. But I I kind of wondered, okay, how much percentage of the success rate kind of makes up uh, for the yardage? So with Walker, it's not like he's elite. There's still a lot of players. Um, it was like DeAndre Swift, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Bijan Robinson. Those guys are all getting more yardage and converting at a higher success rate. But 12th in the league, I mean, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. No, it, I think that's a really interesting stat. Um, and, I mean, it, again, I think that that running the football comes back to discipline and goes back to to getting the job done, the nitty-gritty. To your point, there were some good conversions. Um, and, yeah, although it didn't look sexy the whole time, um, they were able to to keep that going. I, the success rate—that's something I'm going to look into more. I think that's—I had never heard of that stat until just now. I think that's fascinating. Um, and to see again, you know, it, it occurred to me after last week we were talking about week one's a liar, right? It, the reason why is because there's not enough reference points. Like there's not enough data to to. There's nothing. You watch week one and you have nothing to compare it to. Now suddenly we have something to compare it to. You know. Uh, uh, Six days from now, now we'll have another thing to compare it to. So now suddenly, you know, your your reference points are growing and you understand who you actually are. Um, so that success rate thing, I think, will be interesting to revisit, say, in week eight or so. Now, you know, once we have even more data, is that going to continue to climb? Is it going to be, will he be steady Eddie around 12 the whole year? Like that would be kind of a fascinating number, I think, because um, it, it might really pertain to, um, I don't know to other things. Yeah, so one of the um one of the things I was watching in this game was it it felt like they were getting success on, on these run plays, like you know, on a third and two, getting three yards, you know, which which is very valuable. It seemed to me like the signature of this Seahawks offense might actually be that they have three tight ends who can block and catch, incredible, uh, w- yeah. which is pretty unique. So Noah Fant. Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. So uh, right now they all are averaging more than ten yards per reception and more than twenty-five yards per game. Colby Parkinson's really close, and I was just curious: does any other team in the league have three tight ends who are all doing that? And looking at it, there's a lot of teams that haven't even gotten a target out to a second tight end or a reception out to a third tight end, but. Uh, there's, there were three teams that were really close to having like that deep of a tight end group. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. The, the Colts, the Chargers and the Commanders. 
And uh, what do those teams have in common so far this year? They're all top 10 in points. Interesting. So, yeah, Seahawks are 13, which points per game isn't everything, but Seahawks are 13th in points per game. Colts, Chargers, and Commanders are all in the top 10 and all using three tight ends just as often. And to me, it seemed like because the Seahawks would, would put all three tight ends out there a lot of times, and sometimes you're looking at it, it looks like some 1950s run oh, is about yes. to happen, you know, just with, with big boys everywhere. But it's a pass play, you know? Uh, and, and they'll get... They'll get big yardage on that, on that, or you know, big. Uh, I guess it'd be big for Seahawks, more like medium yardage. But it seemed to me like there were a handful of like fifteen yard receptions in this game that came from a formation that looked run oh. all the way. And I, th- I think it could really, I think it really helped them like disguise what they're doing um, on any play because yeah, it looks like a run from the nineteen fifties when they line up, and then it, it's a designed pass and. I noticed most of the snaps in the overtime drive did have that, have all three tight ends out there. Not the winning, the winning touchdown play didn't, but most of their plays in overtime had all three tight ends out there. I think it's such a powerful weapon. I think it's such a good observation because, um, because to your point, the versatility, it instantly just injects into an offense. And the fact that all three guys are good blockers. I remember when we first drafted Colby, I mean, he could not block at all. And the way he's developed, Noah Fant is a first round pick that has been known as a great pass catcher, which he is. Um, When they selected Will Disley, I remember specifically, hey, not a great pass catcher, but this is the best. In fact, they said, John Schneider said, this is the best uh, run blocking tight end in the draft this year, no doubt. And so they, it's funny, they kind of have gotten them all at different for different things and they've all arrived to the same destination, which is being really well-rounded, great tight ends. Um, so two things, numbers that, that caught me um, that uh, about all their performances, none of them dropped a ball, right? So um, oh, nice. Colby, yeah, Colby and Will were both three for three. Um, uh, and no, Noah was four for four, but here's kind of a cool thing. And this speaks to what you're talking about. So my understanding is the Seahawks um, define an explosive play, any play over 20 yards. Okay. Is, is defined as quote unquote explosive. If I look and I, and I actually am currently looking at the receiving stats for your Seattle Seahawks, um, the longs, right? So here, here is the long play for all of the receivers. Um, We maybe not need to go through all of them, but here's all the big names. DK Metcalf, his long, his longest reception was 18 yards. Tyler Lockett, his longest reception was 12, which I think speaks to, hey, Aiden Hutchinson is coming at our young, you know, rookie or not young, but our second string tackles. Let's, you know, get the ball out fast. Here's, but this is, I feel like it speaks to your point. Noah Fant, long of 31 yards. That's a, that's a legit explosive play in any offense. Colby Parkinson, uh, long of 21 yards. Will Disley, long of 16. Um, and then Jackson Smith also had a long of 16. So kind of to the point, when we talk about a lot of those explosive plays, it was it was the tight end group doing it. And I mean, what? He was on that final drive, right? The huge play to um, to Noah Fant right down the middle. And I mean, that was that's a game-changing play. 33% of the field suddenly flips on that one play. That that's a big deal. Now I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think these guys, it's I mean, it's certainly not a secret weapon, but it's a it's an incredible weapon of diversity for this team on offense. I yeah, I love that. Um, so as I was looking at it, so kind of the next thing that, that stood out to me was um, I mean, and this is gonna be a take that no one else has, by the way. This is a hot take. Trey Brown had an unbelievable game. I mean, what a cool thing for him to come back after a rough game last week, for him to come back and just have the performance. Here's my question that I don't have an answer to at all. And I don't even know how you would get this answer. Has anyone in NFL history had a sack and on the next play 
had a pick six? Has it ever happened? Have you uh, uh, that talk about like taking over a game? I mean, that's almost Aaron Donald, like taking over a game where it's like, well, this one player has completely just flipped this game on its head in two consecutive plays and dismantled an offense. I mean, Trey Brown looked like the Trey Brown that I remember his first rookie year where people were like, holy moly, where do we get this guy? He had some injuries. He looked for real. He looked really, really good. I was torn up when I saw this because uh, I kind of felt like despite that, I kind of felt like his pro football focus grade was going to be on the low side because even it was, like on the pick six, he was beat on the play by the receiver. It was just a complete misthrow by Goff yeah. right to him. And it had the wherewithal to take it to the house, which – is a positive. So I I was kind of curious how Pro Football Focus is going to grade that in house because the return, you know, the the hands in the return are massive positives. Yeah. But he was completely burned on the route, so I don't know how. Uh, that seemed like a genuine puzzle about how you you'd grade that positively or negatively over there. I was torn between whether he was having a great game and like ah, oh, this is an example of Pete, you know. Psyching a guy up after having a, a tough time out in week one, or I just, or if it was just kind of luck bouncing his way, I, I really didn't know. And yeah, I mean, I felt luck is a part of it for sure, a part, part of all of our lives forever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to give him a lot of credit. And I say this with all due respect, I, with all due respect to an incredible athlete that I think is going to be a big asset to the Seahawks. But I have seen, um, uh, I've seen plenty of our players, um, you know, suddenly have brick hands and not be able to, you know, not be able to take it to the house or not be able to complete the interception. I was about to name some names. I'm not going to, um, but I've seen this play before. And a lot of times that ball's on the ground and the guy's like, ah, dang it. I should have made that interception. So to your point, you got to give them a lot of brownie points for, making the catch and then taking it to the house. Um, Cause you know, certainly those aren't givens. In fact, to that point, I was watching the jets game, right? We were talking about that jets sauce yeah. Gardner had, yeah, I mean, he, Oh, it looks so beautiful. He jumped that route. I, I couldn't believe he didn't take that to the house and sauce. I mean, I, man, he's good. I mean, sauce Gardner, he, he might be the best cornerback in the league right now. He's unbelievable. Moving on to the next best, the next best cornerback in the league. Yes, this was the debut yes. of round mm. one, pick five, Devin Witherspoon. Spoon. I was I was struck by the feeling that it it just felt like he'd been out there before, or there's just some sort of feeling of like we we of uh, inevitability, which which is not the case. I mean, the Lions a few years ago took Jeff Akuda third overall cornerback. Yeah. You know, th- these aren't there's no such thing as a slam dunk draft pick, but it just kind of felt like. Devin had been out there before. He kind of a, had two hidden turnovers by by having two great pass defenses on two different fourth downs. He and uh, Pete did talk about this this morning on Brock and Salk, but the Lions scored a touchdown in the second quarter on a flea flicker that was really designed to take take advantage of his aggressiveness. Yeah, uh, and they they scored a touchdown with Khalif Raymond. I. That play blew me away. Just the, the level of sophistication that's out there in the NFL. They designed this whole play. It feels like most flea flickers go nowhere, or it's just kind of like they're doing something. But the Lions actually designed this flea flicker that was this that was supposed to be like, we know you're going to bite on this, and he did, uh, and they got the touchdown. I, I just couldn't believe the level of sophistication, but I thought it was. It was very encouraging, and and it, it felt there felt like little shades of Richard Sherman, just with his level of of aggressiveness and kind of anger out there. I don't know if you've felt that at all. Well, you know, it's funny you should say just it looked like he had been there before because I I really that I had the exact same thought. Those couple of plays, um, there was a couple of those fourth down plays, I believe, where he kind of you know jumped and knocked the ball out of the air and just doing things with. A confidence you you usually don't see. I don't feel like you usually see rookie cornerbacks leaving their feet to make a play. Like I'm just going to swat this ball out of midair at the last minute. Um, so yeah, you can definitely tell this dude plays with a level of swagger that 
Um, I mean, I can't imagine how confident you would have to be as a human to be able to like, oh yeah, I belong here. Oh, oh yeah, like let's go. I'm I'm well I'm one of the best instantly. I feel like Sauce did that last year. Um, and, but to your point, and I think it's a really good one, the learning. I distinctly remember Pete talking about Earl Thomas, his first year and Earl getting baited into really getting himself in bad positions and trying to jump routes that he like just made mistakes on. Right. And just them taking advantage of his aggressiveness. And I distinctly remember it was halfway through that first Earl Thomas year, Pete basically saying like, if he doesn't stop, we're going to have to take him out of the game. Like he's like, he's going to have to learn some self-control and like I, whenever I see a rookie make a mistake, I think of Earl Thomas. And I think if we ever get another player as good as Earl Thomas, like you will take all of the rookie lumps, right? Like you'll take every lump that it, that one gets as a rookie if it means that you get an Earl Thomas. And I always just think, and I, again, I, I don't know, sorry to wax poetic or or philosophical, but I think about that in life in general. Like if Earl Thomas one of the best safeties I've ever seen play the game had moments where he had to learn stuff and he got made look like a fool, you know, as a pro, I feel like that's hope for all of us. You know, it's like, there's like, he's as gifted and as perfect of a free safety that I've ever seen in my life. And Earl had welcome to the NFL moments and he had to learn from and like had hard conversations with his coaching staff about stop screwing up. That's incredible, you know. So I, so to your point, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. The idea that he had the opportunity to get burned on a flea flicker and we still won the game, I feel like that's, like that's worth a lot right there, right? Like he, it was a learning opportunity for him. So yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. But I always think of Earl when I think of rookies having struggles, and you know, we, we could all be so lucky if we're as good of our good at our job as Earl was at his. So. It uh, it kind of feels like it, like that's the kind of good rookie mistake. Like I think as a coach, you would want to be like having somebody pull back their aggressiveness yeah. instead of um, you know tr- trying to build up that confidence. So and 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 I don't like even though this touchdown did happen on Witherspoon, it it still felt like he was a positive thing out there. Like it, it didn't feel like we were going to totally. get to this point that even Earl Thomas got to, uh, and who knows how the rest of the year is going to go, but it, it felt like it was still, um, it helped, he held the defense overall. I wonder if it's even possible, like, I'm not going to say not possible, but to your point, I bet it's really hard to teach someone to be aggressive in sports. Like, I bet that's much harder, to your point, than having someone pull it back. I'm, you're a big hoops fan. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, in basketball, how hard is it to teach it seems like it's much easier to teach an absolutely confident shooting guard or whatever, or any position on the court. Hey, like you need to take a few less shots, man. Like let's, you know, let's, let's pull it back or, or let's, let's get a little less aggressive on defense. It seems like it's easier to pull back aggression than it is to try to be like, Hey miles, no, you're really good. Get out there. You can do it. Like, like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Kobe Bryant never needed anyone. It doesn't seem like in his pro career to like, Hey Kobe, you can do it. Like you get out there, man. You got all the talent in the world. Like, you know, like you kind of have to have that, that quote unquote dog mentality. You got to have that kind of go after it. Um, So yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that before, but it's a good point. And a point I've heard people make again with all due respect, but there's a few years where in our secondary, we had guys like Tedrick Thompson, um, that it seemed as though those guys needed to be built up and they needed to be given the confidence. Um, and it never worked out super well. Um, so yeah, I just wonder if that's a trait that obviously it's a trait that Pete likes because he likes Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Michael Bennett and like all of these absolute madmen. Um, but yeah, that's it's a I think it's a really astute idea. Like how hard is it? Is it possible to teach aggression? Yeah, it, it felt like he was looking for the madman personality-wise by yeah. taking Witherspoon. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. No, it's I think that's really cool. Um yeah. All right. 
here's a so I'd like to uh, float a, float a segment out there for you. Almost tried it out last week, but I got to. I was it was going to be with defensive linemen in the second quarter against the Rams, but uh, this is the Belichick strategy moment of the game. Nice uh, presented by presented by me. Present, uh, presented by Miles Ray. How much are you paying for this segment, by the way? Uh, it's worth it. You paying- I crunched the numbers and it's worth it to get this <laughs> this high level of this analysis content. out there to the people. And I, I'm trusting in myself by sponsoring okay. myself with uh, the Belichick strategy moment. So I kind of feel like, uh, you know, there's... The idea here with my uh, the the segment and and my significant investment in the segment is that there's kind of there's a moment that the game is won or lost really that is maybe hidden and I feel like Bill Belichick always finds it you know Lions lost this week so they uh, you know so the, the mistake was on them and I so the Lions get the ball back trailing thirty one to twenty eight. 144 left in the fourth quarter, all three timeouts. This is after the really big sack Geno Smith takes. The yeah. punt has to come with you know the punter's heels on the back of the end zone. They get the return to the 50. And so almost the whole two minutes, all three timeouts, short field. I really think the Lions made a mistake by playing for the field goal instead of for the touchdown. Hmm. Now, they really wanted to get that field goal. They had a bunch of short passes. They were really letting the play clock and the and the game clock go in between the snaps. And they got there, and they got a, a really nice short field goal for their kicker, and they tied it up. But I thought, and let me know what you think, but I thought that really didn't account for the specific two teams that were in the game because what they were trying to do by going for the field goal is using the entire clock, making sure the Hawks do not get the ball back. But I thought that on the Lions part, we've been praising Geno Smith and the run game for their kind of methodical nature. Well, they don't really, if there's a criticism of the Hawks offense, they really haven't shown the ability to link explosive plays together. That's what you'd need to do in that kind of under one minute scenario. And I kind of thought that they, had the oper- and and the Lions scored a lot of points on the Seahawks in this game. So yeah. I really thought they missed an opportunity. It felt like a relief to see them going for the field goal instead of trying to play for the touchdown. And and I think they could have done it because they executed exactly what they wanted to do with it. But um it puts you vulnerable to a scenario like what happened. Hawks win the coin toss in overtime and they don't see the ball again. And I, I think they just should have been more aggressive going for the touchdown, even if it meant that the Hawks would get the ball back um, trailing – or the Hawks – like the Lions up four and the Hawks getting the ball back. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's a really it's a really fascinating question. It, it would be cool to talk to a head coach and kind of get I, – I don't know, get, get a different perspective. I <sighs> – I felt the same way you did that I felt relief the second I saw they're going for it or they're going for the the field goal. It's like, okay, well, well, let's take this over time. Then we can, we can figure that out. It's not the end of the world. And to your point, I mean, it is funny, the idea of having a, let's get it to overtime strategy because now you're basically putting a lot of faith in a 50, 50 proposition, right? The coin toss, maybe one of the worst, um, <laughs> mechanisms to figure out who gets the ball for I mean it's kind of a funny thing I I don't have a better option cool yeah but it's really funny to think like well we got the ball so now we have a really good shot of winning um and I I really have no problem with the way that the overtime rules are are currently set I think like make it improve it with a touchdown is good and all that but um yeah I I tend to agree with you I mean obviously you know it, it seems like the smart move now as well like go for it and and, and be aggressive. Uh, but to your point, I mean, it's not like they couldn't move the ball on us already. Like they were moving the ball pretty well. It's not like our defense was absolutely just destroying them with, you know, we had gotten, you know, one interception, but it's not like we were just, you know, all over the field the whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
2020 retrospect, what are we going to do? But yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough look for them. And I'm really happy they made the choice that they did. Yeah. 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 It felt like, and, and it was so bizarre because uh, this is a team that is so aggressive on fourth down. You that's interesting. Now that's an interesting point too. Yeah. Like we're going for it on fourth over and over again, which thank God they did. Cause you know, we were pretty good against them on fourth down. I think they only converted one fourth down out of three or four. So, I mean, that's kind of a funny thing. Yeah. We're going to be aggressive in this part, but not in this other part. Yeah. That's huh. Huh. That's interesting. Um, should we go to our, our next segment? Uh, we should get a sound drop for Pete Nuggets. Pete Nuggets. Um, again, the sponsorship on this one is really ruining kind of the the spreadsheets and and the savings over here. But I, uh, what I, I need would, to sponsor this one too. Yeah, what I would like eventually is for us to get um, a gold mining company to sponsor Pete Nuggets. I'm not quite sure why they would sponsor the podcast. I don't know how it would help their business model for us to talk about you know, whoever gold miners, but to, the idea of having that for Pete Nuggets would be, um, would be really great. Um, so I'll start with Pete Nuggets though. My Pete Nugget was from the post game press conference where, you know, one cool thing about Pete is how honest he, he is and how he's willing to not always take credit. He's Pete is willing to give credit to other people and, um, and I think it's part of the way he thinks about being successful. I think when Pete thinks about being a successful coach, it's about teaching other people how to be leaders, um, not about him pulling all the right strings at the right time. Um, I think for him, it's gratifying to see his players take leadership positions and, and take on mantles of, of responsibility. And so Pete specifically mentioned that um, on Monday and Tuesday, he was trying to get the team back from that terrible loss. And and we even talked about it last week. Pete did not sound like himself on Monday um, during that press conference or the Sunday press conference or his his spot with Brock and Salk. Um, he sounded off. He just did. And and it, it, it it's so congruent to me that he mentions on Monday and Tuesday in house, he still was off and he couldn't of all people. You would think of all the people in the universe, Pete could rally the troops and say, hey, guys, it's going to be OK. Let's you know flush it and go on to the next one. And apparently he was having a hard time with that. And the idea that he references during his press conference that Bobby Wagner has his midweek Wednesday speech um, and, and that the general idea from multiple um, other players said like Bobby basically just told us, hey, you know, we're a good team. We need to flush that bad loss and move on. We just have to move on to the next one. Um, I love the idea, again, that Pete is willing to give away credit and give away glory. You know, it, he's not trying to hoard these things himself. And my last little observation on this is Bobby as a leader. So, you know, he's he's been great on the field. But obviously, he's bringing something we don't see every day. He's bringing that on a Wednesday, and and Lord knows other great things he's doing for this team. Um, but then think about what Gino had to flush. Gino gave up his one sack of the game, seventeen yards. He's he he basically his one blunder of the game was the last play of regulation for him, and then he has to come back and he has a great drive in OT and wins the game for us with Tyler and, and everyone, the offensive line really, I mean, everyone did a great job. Um, that's incredible. Like that's the exact same thing. Gino had to flush that last bad sack and just move on. Hey, I'm a great player. This whole team had to do that with a really bad loss from the Rams. The idea that, and you know, it's funny, we, we, and I think you'd agree with this, we have talked a lot about a lot of different players, but this was a great team win. Like there is a, there is a plenty of praise pie to go around the table for everybody. Like if you want to talk about um, the offensive line or the defensive line or the wide receivers, the cornerbacks, like there's plenty of praise to go around. It's not like Gino just is the only one who won this game. So the idea that the whole team was able to flush last week, and and embrace this week i think is such a cool thing and that's that's my pete nugget I really just that he's he wants to give that you know that praise to to bobby i think is awesome 
I love it. I love it. It, it. I I did hear him talking about Bobby Wagner as well, and it it made me curious. This hopefully this doesn't sound like a sin. I I loved it that that Bobby Wagner is almost like the assistant professor or something, or you know, yeah, like the, yeah. you know. Uh, but it just made me wonder, you know, his his salary is so low this year compared to a lot of other guys on that defense. Uh, you, he's at like five million, and you, you know, you got Jamal and and Quandre Diggs earning several, you know, multiple times that. It just made me curious, like, um, if that matters at all, you know, like within the the culture, because you know, everybody knows everybody else's salary, and if that yeah. kind of, um. I'm sure it's very different knowing that, you know, he was the guy who got it done in the Super Bowl and, and for that legendary defense. That probably makes it okay. But it just it, it just made me curious about, like, within an NFL locker room, if you're kind of always looking to the highest paid guy on the side of the ball or the position group or whatever, to if that's, like, part of the responsibility of getting paid that much or not, I don't know. I think it is, but... I just think the Bobby Wagner is the exception to that rule. Like, I just think, like, I think when you have just so many all pros, you know, to your name and my understanding of Bobby is that he just carries himself differently. Like that he just is a true leader in every sense of the word, not to say he's always been that guy. Um, but you know, I, I, to me, it's one of my favorite things about sports is watching a team for a while and seeing people develop into who they're going to be. And, Watching Bobby develop from, you know, man, those first couple of years, he was just, he was quiet. You didn't hear from Bobby at all. And like Bobby's development as a leader, um, it would be really cool to ask him this question. Like to me from the outside, it looked like it was a very methodical, steady Eddie. Every year he became more and more of a leader and kind of built, built on it layer by layer until now he is, you know, he's Bobby Wagner. Um, and you almost take it for granted, like as if he was born that way, you know, but I think that he, um, I think he developed it and I, and honestly, I think that Pete, I know that Pete really helped in that development. So, um, no, just what a freaking legendary guy. So anyway, that's, that's my Pete nugget. Uh, my Pete nugget is that, uh, on Brock and Salk, it was really quick, but he mentioned his approach with Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran, the two. Yeah, very young players, very little experienced coming in as the two starting tackles this week. And he mentioned that his approach was to share his belief in them. And it's just you know, that's that's a classic Pete. You're not going to get that kind of, you know, loving talk from from very many NFL coaches and it occurred to me that he was he was doing that uplifting in the middle of last week when there yeah. was a ton of criticism about how the Rams game went. And look, this could have been, I mean, speaking of the Jets again, but sorry, the, the Jets against the Bills on, on Monday night, if your offensive line isn't doesn't have its act together, it, it could be a disaster pretty quickly. And yeah. honestly, that if, if it was a disaster this week, it wouldn't have been that surprising. You know, to have two guys making some of their – very first career starts, both coming in on either side at tackle. And to just have it be a complete non-issue, as we talked about, there was only one sack in the game. I really thought, you know, there there was there was some discussion about like, is Pete too, you know, is he too, you know, does he too into this emotional side? Is he too deep into his career for this? And you know what? He went in, he did his his Pete thing and and boosted those guys' egos. Uh, you know, which which had to feel and it, it paid dividends, but it because it was so quiet, it it could get lost pretty easily. It's it's a great observation. And I feel like it's it's funny because that plays exactly into my thought, too. Like we we're, we kind of are looking at the same problem from two different angles. The idea that Pete it in a pretty bad week, like, I mean, he really was. It seemed like he was down in the dumps. Um, but I mean, it's a cool example of what good leadership is like, okay, yeah, I'm not having my best day or my best week, but I'm still going to encourage somebody else. Um, yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that's a, that's a great observation. And, um, and those two guys, holy moly, I mean, <laughs> talk about two gentlemen that exceeded and, and really like grabbed onto the call of, of the week and put the, the team on their shoulders. Um, 
It's, I mean, it, it was as impressive as you can get. The fact that Agent Aiden Hutchinson did not have a QB pressure in this game, like he didn't even touch Gino, is insane. And I know that's that's play design, that's timing. It's ever you know, football is the ultimate team sport. They all have to work together. But um, yeah, those those guys were impressive, and and Pete as always impressive how he rallies the troops. Speaking of the offensive line, I've, I'm working on a theory lately that I, I, th- I, I kind of wonder, except for a very few guys, the names we know who are on top, I've kind of wondered lately if being a professional athlete and a coach is one of the worst jobs in the world. Um, <laughs> and, and with the offensive line shuffling this week, it just, I wondered how this week went for these guys. So, Here's some of the moving pieces. And this also kind of made me realize why NFL people on NFL teams have to work for such long hours. Thinking through the logistics of everything was really kind of making my head spin the more I thought about it. So last week, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, both the starting tackles, get injured. And this triggers all sorts of things happening. The team signs Jason Peters out of semi-retirement. You know, and he he doesn't play with the team this week, but it could be as soon as next week. You got yeah. a future Hall of Famer, Jason Peters. As we said, you got Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran coming from their backup roles into the starting roles. That's locked in, and Pete and the offensive coaches are coaching them up. And then they signed two guys off of practice squads. This, this is the kind of thing that is just normal NFL stuff, but I started thinking the logistics off it. So it's McClendon Curtis from... Las Vegas and Raekwon O'Neal from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I was just thinking through their weeks. So the moves get announced on like Tuesday ish. Crazy. So that means, yep. so that means oh, 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 and by the way, both of these guys, Curtis and O'Neal, undrafted free agents. So if you think about it, they finished up their college season. They do the combine in February. They get drafted in April. Pretty soon, Raekwon moves. Uh, he went to college at UCLA. So he moves from UCLA to Tampa Bay in May. Gets cut by the team at the end of training camp, re-signed onto the practice squad, and then suddenly this opportunity comes last Tuesday. Has to fly out to Seattle on Tuesday or Wednesday, commercial, from Tampa Bay to Seattle. And then I don't know what the next few days are. How could you learn everything you know, people's names, you got to get measured for your uniform. I mean, I was even thinking about stuff like that. Like there's like HR paperwork, right? Like find a hotel gotta, from a hotel. You yeah. got to do it. You're 23 years old. And then, so that flights Tuesday or Wednesday, then Saturday, you got to fly back most of the way across the country from Seattle to Detroit. Um, and anyway, I was looking at the snap counts, Raekwon O'Neal, he actually gets in the game for his very first NFL game. He played a few, Special team snaps. I didn't really? notice it when it happened. I have no idea what it looked like. But uh, just the the journey to get there seems so crazy to me. And then I was looking at... so <laughs> There's a guy named Greg Island. E-I-L-A-N-D. That the Seahawks have had like on the practice squad and futures contracts for two years. He's been in the building since May 2021. Another undrafted free agent, offensive lineman. The team go, like goes, what was his week like? Because I'm sure he was thinking, here's my chance. But no, the team goes outside the building to get two other guys from across the country. And Greg Island hasn't appeared in a game as a Seahawk. So anyway, just I know that's the most like pedestrian NFL stuff of all time. But when I actually started to think through, like there's only so many hours in a week and you got to Somebody's got to stitch the letters on the uniform. Somebody's got to get the right shoe size for these guys. These guys have to, I I mean, I don't know how you could possibly learn what you'd need. I mean, what if you were told next week, you're going to be, you're going to be in new Orleans playing seven special team snaps. Like, and you got, you got like 48 hours to learn it. You got to have these two crazy flights in between. Like we starting to think about it logistically. Like I have no clue how it actually happened. And then unfortunately for these guys, you know, it's not like Cross and Lucas have season-ending injuries. Jason Peters is in the building. They're probably going to be out the door somewhere else in a few weeks' time as well. I'll be watching. I'm, I'm, I hope it ends up well for them. But, man, that, that's a brutal stretch of just stuff happening. 
I, I think is a really good observation because, yeah, I mean, these are real people. Like th- these are real people that had to fly across the country. You, you bring up the HR stuff. That's real. I mean, they it's not this is a real corporation that they're working for. They had to fill out paperwork. They had to sign stuff. They had to pick a health plan, I suppose. Like, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about. They had to, you know, am I going to do Delta Dental you know, the plus plan or like the, the lower plan. Do I get vision this time? Do we, or like, man, I get Warby Parker, so I don't even need a vision plan. Do I? That's 17 bucks a month. I mean, it's so funny to think about like all these little logistical things. And then to your point, I mean, these dudes are, you know, I'm sure the, the team is like, Hey, this is the hotel you should stay at whatever. But I mean, it's a whole thing. And now suddenly you're living out of a hotel, right? I mean, I'm trying to think of the most I've ever been in a hotel for, you know, a year, right? I I travel a good amount for work. Um, I can tell you this, when I'm in a hotel room for like the fourth night in a row, I start getting kind of bummed. It's like, it's not like you're on vacation with your family. You're just sitting there like, okay, cool. This kind of sucks. I want to go home. Um, It's a really good point. These guys, all of these NFL players or MLB players, you know, pick the sport. Um, it's a transient life. I mean, it really is until you get super lucky and you end up, you know, sticking around in one spot for a while. So yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, next week, what are we thinking? Should we do some predictions and then call this a, call this a pod? That's what the kids are calling it. By the way, they call them pods. That's a, it's like a, a, a pod of whales. It's oh. like, we're, it's like, we're, it's like we're two dolphins. Sorry. I'm just trying to. I'm that trying is to... the origin of the name podcast because it it mimics the way that whales communicate to one another in a pod. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to ruin my own podcast. I love it. I'm trying to sabotage us with with my own dumb observations. Um, okay, so next week, Carolina Panthers, right? Bryce Young. Um, what are we thinking? I think that I think that everybody in the Panthers building had to be so upset the day the schedule came out because this this has schedule loss written all over it. The Panthers are about to take the field on Monday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints. They got the one less day, and then they that's a long trip as well. Fly from, across from the country Charlotte to yeah. Seattle, the home game for the Seahawks. So um, it's not often that you get a schedule loss handed to you in the in the NFL. So I think the Seahawks really need need to get a big win on on this one and. And I think they will. I think they will. Not that there's so much of their schedule, especially the second half of the year is so tough, but this is one that kind of got served up to you. What do you think? Well, you know, I'll just, I'll keep it this simple. I'm excited to see Weatherspoon. I'm, I like just calling him Spoon personally. I want to see Spoon versus Bryce Young. I think that's a really cool matchup. You, you know, you talk about, you know, Jared Goff, veteran quarterback, right? They were able to draw some stuff up to screw, um, to kind of screw with Weatherspoon and to kind of put him in a bad spot. That I'm assuming that doesn't happen against a rookie quarterback. Like, hey man, this is how you play quarterback in the NFL. Like, they're both at kind of the 101 level of their learning as far as their NFL career. They both, I don't know if they played against each other last year. Maybe they did. You know, I mean, it's we should you know, a good podcaster would have known that before he started talking about it. Um, it's possible that they faced each other um, last year. So the idea that now they're both rookies that are going to have to face each other. I think that's a fun little storyline. Um, I agree with you. I think the Seahawks are going to win um, tough environment for Bryce, you know, super loud, obviously loudest stadium in the league or, or up there. Um, I think this defense continues to progress. Hopefully, um, Jamal is back, right? I mean, that's, I think a good possibility. This could be his first game. May, you know, we have that early bye week, so maybe they just keep holding him out, you know, and just come back after the bye. I think that's reasonable. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think I, to your point, I think it's a good opportunity to get a win. Um, if anything, I'll say this, if I was a Carolina Panthers fan, I'd be pretty frustrated to your point. I mean, cross country travel playing Monday night, that's 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 a lot of things stacked against you. So, but you know, they're all professionals, so we'll see. Indeedy. Well, I think that's it. And any concluders for the audience? Um, I had a lot more notes about practice line, practice squad offensive linemen, but you I had 20 or 30 more minutes about that, but you made me scrap it. Uh, but thanks yeah. for letting it. 
I know way too many people were talking about that, but um, thanks for letting me get that in. Hey, it's good to good to get it off your chest. Um, I think a really successful podcast. Um, thank you very much, Miles. This was a pleasure as always. Absolutely. And as always, it's a pleasure to serve the entire Seahawks fan base with the yep. singular podcast that, that covers the Seahawks. I, yep. I can't believe nobody thought of it before us. Doing a service. All right. Talk to you later.